Good morning, Sunset. As you know, there are many ministries here at Sunset that have at their heart equipping us as a body to take that wonderful gospel message that has meant so much to each of us as individuals and taking it out and sharing it with those who have not heard it yet. And one of those ministries is the Sunset International Bible Institute. Those of us who get to work with SIBI and also who participate in the school are very grateful to this congregation because you provide such a wonderful atmosphere, the body of Christ, in which our students can come from many parts of the world and spend a time here being equipped and studying God's Word, and then you send them out to different places. This year, May 15th, we will graduate 18 men and women who are going to be going out then into ministry in places around the United States, Mexico, Puerto Rico, China, and Thailand. And one of those graduates has been selected by his class to speak to you this morning. This is Doug Weatherly. Doug comes to us from Scurry, Texas, where he was very involved in the work of the church there, so much so that one of our alumni, Ozzie McDaniel, becoming aware of his servant heart and his passion for ministry, encouraged him to come here. And he and his wife, Misty, and their three children came to SIBI and began to study God's Word. Now, if you talk to Doug, he'll say he had two major takeaways from his time spent here. The first was the deep study of God's Word, and the second were those relationships that he formed with his uh, instructors and his classmates. Doug says probably his biggest challenge was changing the things in his life that needed to be changed, but he'll tell you that that process of change has blessed him and, and grown him into a steadfast, bold proclaimer of the Word of God. Doug and his wife Misty, their three children, will be entering into ministry in Rotan, Texas, very quickly after graduation. Doug, you have been trying, there you are, trying to find eyes on you. You've been a great blessing to us, an inspiration even, brother, and we're excited for what the Lord's going to do for you and your family. Come and preach the word. Preach the word. It's an honor to be in this place, to be with all of you, to have the opportunity to proclaim that which God once proclaimed. The truth is, all the greatest lessons that I've learned in my life, all the things that really, really, really matter are lessons that were taught by God. I hope this morning we see a lesson that is taught by God. We want to place a heavy emphasis on the book, and we always want to be people who bend our life to fit the book rather than bending the book to fit our life. We want to be people who seek after the things that God would have us to seek after. I will never forget when I got to Lubbock. You would think that being from East Texas, it's a really easy transition to come over here to Lubbock just six hours away. I will tell you that West Texas is nothing like East Texas at all. You have to find new grocery stores. You go into new schools. You have to find new barbershop. You have to find new everything for your children. I remember the very first time we were here, we were driving down 82nd Street. 
And my wife said, you're going to turn left on Marcia Sharp. I said, all right, it's right there. I could see the overpass. We'll get up there and we'll turn left. 20 minutes later, we made it to the overpass. I'm not even sure I was in Lubbock yet. Wow, was it different. And I don't know if you've noticed, but the wind blows here a lot. And there's a lot of sand. I mean, a lot of sand. There's not sand in East Texas. There's just black dirt. There's also a thing, one thing that I've really, really, really grown to hate about West Texas. It's those goat heads that you get out in your yard that you step on, and so you have to wear shoes all the time. I have three boys who can't remember to take their shoes off when they come in the house, and so they get in the carpet. So you can't even go barefoot in your house. You have to wear shoes all the time. I just wear them till I go to bed, kick them off right next to the bed. The first thing I do when I get up, I put on my britches and then I put on my shoes. I hate them. That's just the truth. I really felt like, for at least for a little while, like this stranger in a new land. Everything around me was different. And it wasn't like home. We'll be in the book of 1 Peter in chapter 1. Because Peter's going to talk to a group of people that were exactly like that. And that group of people is the Christians in the first century that had been dispersed. They would market themselves as strangers to the world. Isn't that what Christians are? Isn't that what we are, strangers in the world? When we were baptized into Jesus, when God made us alive... He also seated us in the heavenly places, Ephesians 2 and verse 6. I'm now in the world, but I'm not of the world. And as long as I'm here, Satan is going to attack me with these sandstorms of life. These stickers, these goat heads that get in my feet and I can't get them out. Satan is constantly going to present me with these trials. But Peter's going to present us with a love that God has for you and for me. A love that will drive us to the conduct that God would like us to have. I'm in the book of 1 Peter chapter 1. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect... That's the people of God. That's you and me, Christians, exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. And I see the first example Peter gives of God's love. God loves you. And so God planned a plan for you. Before the beginning of the world, God knew that man would sin. And so he planned a plan to save and provide a place of safety for all those who wanted to be a part of his plan. Before God ever said, let there be light, he'd already planned Jesus. Before God ever said there would be water, 
He'd already planned the cross. Before God ever created you, He already knew how He was going to save you. Wow. Wow. That's a God that loves you. A God that planned a plan in the sanctification of the Spirit. He set you apart. That's what sanctification means. He set you apart in the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with His blood. Well, the blood's important here because the blood does a couple of things. It draws our minds to our baptism. When in contacting the blood of Jesus, we were cleansed, made free from our sin. He washed it away, and we consecrated ourselves for God's use to be what God wants us to be. And we entered into covenant with our God. A covenant that says, I will live for you, God. And Peter's reminding us here of that covenant he says may grace and peace be multiplied to you blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ that word blessed is from the same word that we get eulogy it means to speak well of to speak well of speak well of God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ well why Peter because according to his great mercy He caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And I see the second thing that Peter wants me to see. God sacrificed for me and for you. According to his great mercy. His abundant mercy, your version might say. Ephesians 2 and 4 will say that God is rich in mercy. I always like that one because it makes me think of DuckTales. It makes me think of Scrooge McDuck, who would, in the beginning of the the cartoon, stand on his diving board and dive into his vault of gold coins. And they would go, ching, 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 all over his vault. I think about how rich Scrooge is presented to be in the cartoon. And then I compare that to the riches of God and there is no comparison there is no comparison God has a vault with no walls God has a vault that doesn't get full God has a mercy that touches me and touches you and touches all those who want to be a part of his plan God is merciful. God is not giving me what I deserve because of my sin. That's what mercy is. Because I've chosen to be a part of his plan. Hmm. According to his great mercy, he caused us to be born again to a living hope. Verse 23 of the same chapter will say that we're born again through an imperishable seed. Hmm. It says, since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, that's the seed of your mother, but of imperishable, the seed of Jesus, 
through the living and abiding Word of God. It's the truth of the Word that I've been born again through. It's the Word that provides me with the knowledge of God's plan. Do we see that? It's the Word that's caused me to be born again to a living hope because of the resurrection. Hope is desire plus expectation. Well, I desire and I expect to be in heaven with my God. Why? Why do I think that God can resurrect me? Because he already resurrected Jesus. That's why. Jesus is alive. That's a trustworthy saying, that Jesus is alive. Every, everything about Christianity rests on the fact that Jesus is already in heaven, that Jesus is already with the Father, that Jesus isn't in the tomb anymore. That's the very first gospel sermon that Peter preaches in Acts chapter 2. David's in his tomb, but Jesus isn't. And so I have a hope. I have a hope of an inheritance, verse 4, that's imperishable, that's undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for me. Okay. And now I know that this sacrifice God gave is what allows me to store up for myself treasures in heaven, that which is imperishable. Jesus says in Matthew 6 and verse 19 and 20, Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Oh, no wonder I'm a stranger in this world. I've already sent all my good stuff on to heaven. Everything that I value is stored for me there. It's kept in heaven already. No wonder the world doesn't feel like home. It's because it's not. It's because it's not. I'm waiting to go to my home. Hmm. It's kept in heaven for me, me and you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith, for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And I see the third thing that Peter wants me to see about God's love. God guards me. And God guards you. God guards you. Can you think of a better bodyguard? Can you think of a better bodyguard than your Savior? Than God himself? Who through your faith guards you. Well, I need a definition of my faith. The only definition that works every time is hear, trust, and obey. I hear what God has to say. And I trust the spokesman enough to do what he would have me to do. That's faith. And that's what allows God to guard me and be my bodyguard and take a bullet for me if necessary. God's prepared to do that for you. God's prepared to do whatever it takes to get you to where he wants you to be. 
You know where that is? It's your salvation. That's what verse 5 says. God planned a plan. God sacrificed and God guards with a goal in mind. He doesn't do it for no reason. God does it for your salvation. He always wanted you to live with Him. He's always wanted me to live with Him. In this you rejoice. Rejoice. Be glad. Be glad. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Well, that makes sense because we said at the beginning that as long as we live here, Satan's going to attack us. We're going to have these trials in our life, these sandstorms and goat heads, and and Satan's going to keep coming at us. So what are you getting at, Peter? He said, this is what I'm getting at. They're temporary. They're temporary. You see that? He says, for a little while. For a little while. They're temporary. They're not going to last forever. No matter how hard the struggle No matter how light the struggle, whatever it is, Peter is saying God loves you and it's temporary because you're going home someday to be with your God. You're going home. And so whatever sandstorm life is throwing at you, it's just temporary. It's only for a little while until you get to go home and be with your God So rejoice, rejoice, jump up and down. We're going to see that they rejoice with a joy that's inexpressible in just a moment. Inexpressible. Rejoice that they're temporary so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in what? Praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you've not seen him, you love him. Yes, I do, Peter. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him. Yes, I do, Peter. And you rejoice with a joy that's inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul. I listened to us sing a while ago. I I, I couldn't even sing. Because I'm sitting right here where I can hear all of you singing about the hope that we have in God. The hope that we have in Christ. And all the little hairs just stand up on my arm. And it gives me goosebumps. And I rejoice with this joy that I, I don't know how to get out. And it's not something that I'm rejoicing with later. It's not something that's happening down the road when I get to heaven. It's now. I have it now. This joy and want to tell people about the way that God loves me. You ever look in the mirror and just say to yourself, God loves me? You ever call the people you love and just tell them God loves you? I want you to do it. I want you to know that God loves you and I want them to know that God loves them. You know why? Because the love of God changes lives. The love of God changes lives. I know because he changed mine. I know because he changed mine. And I know that he changed yours too. But that love that God shows, 
moves me to do what God wants me to do. See, Peter doesn't stop there. We, we move down to verse 13, and he's going to have a call for action. For us to do something because of the way that God loves us. Because of the salvation that he's revealed to us. See, the prophets were inquiring about it and they couldn't figure out what they were preaching about. The angels longed to look at it. That's verse 11 and 12. But God revealed it to us. To you. The prophets didn't know it. The angels didn't know it. God chose you. How special are you? How special are we? He calls us to action, verse 13. He says, therefore, because of the way that God loves you, because of all that he's done, prepare your minds for action. Okay, Peter, how do I do that? How do I get my mind prepared for action? Well, I'm reminded of 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. It says, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for correction, for reproof and training in righteousness. That the man of God may be made complete or mature and equipped for every good work. Well, that equipped, that's prepared. That's what Peter's talking about right here. To be equipped and prepared. How do I do it? Through the scripture. Through the scripture. That's why God gave it. For me to be prepared for every good work. There's another scripture that I think fits here. Romans 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So I use the scripture to equip me to transform my mind so that I'm not conformed to the world and I remain a stranger in it. And it prepares me as I discern the will of God in order to change my conduct. That's what we're going to see. Therefore, prepare your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope Fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's through study and discerning the will of God that I can set my hope on the grace that's going to be brought to me. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But he who has called you is holy. You also be holy in your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. God has called us to be holy. God has called us to move away from the life that we lived before we became Christians. He's called us to move away from the sin that separated us from Him. God does care what you do. God does care what your actions are. If you don't hear me say anything else at all today hear me say that God cares about you
Mm. When trials come, remember they're temporary. When the sandstorms of life come and visibility becomes zero, you can't see where you're going, hmm. remember that God loves you. When stress is overwhelming and feels like the goat head in the bottom of your foot that you can't get rid of, remember that God sacrificed for you. Hmm. When the attacks of Satan are unbearable, when you feel like you cannot press on in the faith, that you're struggling with being the Christian that God would have you to be, remember that God is guarding you because He loves you so much. We serve an awesome God. A God that is good all the time. We serve a God who has done so much for us. So much for us. And I'm so thankful that he's my God, and I know that you are too. Thankful that he is your God. If these trials of life are overwhelming to you, we want to assist you. We want to come alongside you and help you through those. We want to be people who help one another get to heaven. If you think back in your life and you realize that you haven't contacted the blood of Jesus, that you haven't been baptized into Jesus, and so you feel like God isn't guarding you because you're not in covenant relationship with Him, and you haven't obeyed the gospel, now's the time to do it. Why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sin, calling on the name of the Lord. If we can assist you in any way, let us do that as we stand and sing together.